Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Hermione, and this is my co-host, Ron. I probably wouldn't be offended, but we do make fun of Ron. Like, quite a bit, actually. Not that any of it's wrong, but still. Yeah, but we make fun of Hermione a lot, too. That is true. Maybe we should just stick with, you're Ellen, I'm Katie, and let's just keep rolling right into our rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed the second half of Chapter 21 and its corresponding film scenes. There was a lot of wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. Oh, wait, wrong fandom. Sorry. Hermione adopted a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do attitude in regards to that whole pesky don't-meddle-with-the-past rule. Dumbledore ran interference on the Horsey Bird Murdering Committee. The rat bastard got away, but considering he left his clothes behind, no one really wanted the unpleasant task of catching him. Moondoggy was pissed when he got tricked by a fake werewolf howl that led him right into a steel talon bitch slap. Harry was almost late to the Patronus party, but finally realized that he is his father's son. Snape showed off his unnerving talent for moving bodies. Crazy Gary Oldman escaped the world's worst makeout session. And the teetering tenses turned us tongue-tied. It was truly intense. During episode 61, Horsey Bird of Another Color, our Potter pondering was, do you think Dumbledore knew what was going on with Buckbeak's great escape the whole time? Max says that he reckons he did. Dumblegod is supposed to know everything and he wouldn't have told Hermione how far to go back if he only wanted them to save Sirius. Quincy said that Dumbledore knows all. He is God. I'm sensing a theme here. Mm-hmm. Carly also said yes, Dumbledore knew because he is omniscient. Juliana also said that she thinks Dumbledore knew the whole time. Dave said that he doesn't think it was as obvious in the book. Dumbledore was just having everyone sign the execution papers and called the executioner back saying he had to sign too. He felt it added tension and an, oh, that was close, feeling in suspense, but wouldn't have thought it was Dumbledore knowing what was going on when he was reading. But that's not how it happened in the movie. The movie clearly, as all caps Dave says, shows Dumbledore delaying with an, oh, look over there, that was super obvious that he knew what was going on. And Jackson said, oh yeah, he knew. He definitely knew. Mike also said, oh yeah, Dumbledore is basically omniscient. Also, I really wanted to know, do hippogriffs lay eggs like birds or give birth like horses? Carly is inclined to think that they were live births, but Samantha said she had a vague memory of Buckbeak having a giant nest. This may just be from the Flight of the Hippogriff ride at Universal, but it has her leaning towards eggs. Quincy looked it up before and shared a screenshot that hippogriffs are native to Europe and the Hogwarts herd live in the Forbidden Forest. When breeding, Newt explains in Fantastic Beasts, a hippogriff will build a nest on the ground and lay a single large egg which hatches in 24 hours. Juliana said that she imagined hippogriffs lay eggs, but that is entirely based on the ride. Quincy did her job and searched for the answer. Bravo, Quincy. Max joked that he's not sure if hippogriffs give birth. He thought it was the byproduct of a griffin and a horse. To which Dave replied, wouldn't that be a horsey griff? It's got to be a combo of a griffin and a hippo. <laughs> Dave also added that he always assumed that all flying animals laid eggs. He can't think of any ones that don't. Birdies, dragons, dinosaurs, snakes, turtles, even penguiners and ostrichers. <laughs> he wonders if it would be too hard to live birth something with wings without breaking the wings. Or else such animals would be born without wings and the wings could grow on later as the animal matures, like horns. Which then made him say, oh, can you imagine birthing an animal that had horns? Yikes. Oh, Lord. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I birthed a human that didn't have horns and that was painful enough, so... Super. Didn't she? <laughs> well, they were holding up her halo. <laughs> but this made Quincy respond, wondering why Dave was talking about flying animals and threw turtles and snakes in there, wanting to know why you would put that image in his head. Seriously, 
Snakes don't fucking fly. Like Dementors. Mm-hmm. Dave commented back with a, what, they don't fly where you live? Interesting. <laughs> Wait, we live in the same place as Dave. Do we have flying snakes? We do not have flying snakes. I think Dave is being a troll. Thank fuck. Okay. I'm cool with that then. Jackson also looked up and shared that according to the Fantastic Beasts book, hippogriffs make a nest on the ground and lay a single egg, which hatches within 24 hours. That's not a whole lot of time to prepare for being a mum. How much you really got to do as a horsey bird, though? Well, I mean, mentally. Clean your feathers. Every- <laughs> That's all right. Buckbeak's a good hippogriff. Always cleans his feathers. And delivers the two-talon beatdown. Two-talon beatdown. <laughs> Mike guesses that they lay eggs, and he thinks that they would maybe be colored like their eyes, because that would be cool. That would be really cool. I like it. New headcanon. Yeah. Thanks for all of your responses, conversations, and jokes. They were extra fun to read through this week, and Katie now has her question answered about hippogriffs and their births slash hatching. Right. It's a little disturbing, but I'll take it. I was actually wondering what a bunch of hippogriffs would be, because you said uh, the Hogwarts herd. And I was thinking, can we just call them the two-hoof beatdown of hippogriffs? It's a little wordy. Find the beatdown of hippogriffs. It's a kick-ass of hippogriffs. Look out. A kick-ass of hippogriffs. (laughs) I think it would actually be a pride of hippogriffs. Mm Hmm? I like that. Our trivia question last week was, what does Dean Thomas hope they will get as a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher next year? When Seamus wonders what they will get as a teacher next year, Dean hopefully says, maybe a vampire. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley, who was the first person to answer it correctly, even though I had a total brain fart and forgot to make the post. Yeah, that'll happen. He posted an answer on the episode post, so that worked just fine, really. Yeah, I won't forget this week. I'm just on vacation right now and my schedule's all messed up with the holidays. It'll be interesting to see who gets this week's since it relates to a difference between the U.S. and U.K. versions of the book. Yeah, we shall see who gets it. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 22, Owl Post again, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. Chapter 22, Owl Post again. Harry and Hermione are on the tower after seeing off Buckbeak and Sirius, and Hermione becomes concerned that they only have ten minutes to get back. She pulls Harry away from looking at the sky, and they make their way back to the hospital wing. When they reach the bottom of the staircase, they hear Fudge and Snape walking down the corridor. Snape is hoping that Dumbledore won't interfere, and asks if the kiss will be performed immediately. Fudge tells him that it will be performed as soon as McNair returns, that he cannot wait to tell the Daily Prophet they got black, and that they will probably want to interview Snape. He adds on that once Harry is in the right mind, Harry will probably want to tell the prophet exactly how Snape saved him. The two men pass and Harry and Hermione wait another moment to leave so they aren't seen. They run down more stairs and corridors when they hear Peeves cackling ahead. Harry pulls Hermione into an empty classroom to avoid the laughing poltergeist. Hermione says that Peeves must be excited that the Dementors are going to kill Sirius, and she notices that they now only have three minutes to get back to the hospital. Once Peeves passes... The two leave the classroom running, and Harry asks what will happen if they don't make it back before Dumbledore locks the door. Hermione doesn't want to think about it, checks her watch, and notes that they only have one minute. They near the hospital wing and can hear Dumbledore telling Hermione the time and how many turns. They can see his back, and as he exits and pulls his wand out to lock the door, Harry and Hermione run forward. Dumbledore looks up and smiles when he sees the pair and simply asks, well? Harry tells them that they did it. Sirius escaped on Buckbeak, and Dumbledore beams at them. He listens at the door to the hospital wing and lets them back inside when he thinks they're gone. Harry and Hermione settle back in their beds, and Madame Pomfrey comes out of her office, asking nobody in particular if the headmaster is gone and if she can look after her patients now. They can see that she's in a bad mood, so they quietly accept the chocolate she gives them, listening intently for any reactions when they hear a loud, angry roar echoing from above. Madame Pomfrey is startled and wonders what that sound was, staring at the door and exclaiming that the angry voices approaching will wake everyone up. A voice tells Snape that Sirius must have disapparated, causing Snape to yell that you cannot apparate or disapparate inside the castle and that it must have something to do with Potter. The voice tells him to be reasonable, that Harry has been locked up. The door to the hospital wing bursts open and Dumbledore, Fudge, and Snape enter the ward. 
Dumbledore seems calm and almost amused. Fudge is angry, but Snape is absolutely furious as he approaches Harry demanding to know what he did. Madame Pomfrey scolds him, Fudge again tells him to be reasonable, while Snape continues to angrily accuse Harry and Hermione of helping Black escape. After a moment, Dumbledore quiets Snape and asks Madame Pomfrey if the two had left their beds since he'd locked them in ten minutes ago. When she says that they had not, Dumbledore tells Snape that unless he believes that Harry and Hermione could have been in two places at once, they should be left alone. Snape looks at a shocked Fudge and a bemused Dumbledore and furiously storms out of the hospital wing. Fudge tells Dumbledore that Snape seems unbalanced, and Dumbledore tells him that Snape is merely suffering from extreme disappointment. Fudge says that he's not the only one, that Daily Prophet is going to have a field day, and that the Ministry will be a joke if Buckbeak's escape is found out as well. As Fudge prepares to go back to the Ministry, Dumbledore asks about the Dementors being removed. Fudge says they will be sent back to Azkaban at once, that he never could have imagined they would try to give the kiss to an innocent boy, and considers dragons at the entrance instead. Dumbledore says that Hagrid would like that, and with a quick smile at Harry and Hermione, he and Fudge leave. Madame Pomfrey locks the door behind them and returns to her office. A moment later, a moan is heard across the ward as Ron wakes up confused, asking a lot of questions at once. Harry tells Hermione to explain and eats more chocolate. The next day, Harry, Ron, and Hermione leave the hospital to find the castle almost empty, since the heat and end of exams prompted everyone to make a trip to Hogsmeade. Ron and Hermione don't feel like going, and instead the three wander outside and continue talking about the events of the night before, wondering where Sirius and Buckby could be. As they watch the giant squid in the lake, Harry thinks about the stag galloping across it last night, and then Hagrid appears, looking tired and sweaty, but happy. Hagrid says he shouldn't be happy since Black had escaped, but after the kids pretend to be curious, he tells them that Buckbeak also escaped and that he'd been celebrating all night. Hermione tells Hagrid that's wonderful news, and Hagrid believes that he must not have tied him up properly. He was, however, worried that Buckbeak might have run into Lupin, but was assured by the professor that he had not eaten anything the night before. Harry is confused, and Hagrid explains that Snape had told the Slytherins that morning about Professor Lupin being a werewolf. He had assumed that everyone in the school would have known by now, and that Professor Lupin is packing. Harry asks why he's packing, and Hagrid explains that he resigned that morning, not wanting to risk anything like that happening again. Harry gets up and tells his friend that he's going to see Lupin, even if he has already resigned and there's nothing he can do. He reaches Lupin's office, which has been mostly packed away. Harry tells him that he had just seen Hagrid and asks if it was true that he had resigned, hoping it wasn't. Lupin tells Harry that it is true that Snape had accidentally let it slip that Lupin is a werewolf and that parents would not want their children being taught by a werewolf. He tells Harry that he agrees with them because he might have bitten any one of them last night and that must not happen again. Harry protests, telling the professor that he was the best defense against the dark arts teacher they had ever had. Lupin continues to pack and tells him that from what Dumbledore had said, Harry saved many lives the night before. He tells Harry that he's most proud of how much he had learned and asks about his Patronus. Harry wonders how he knew about that, and Lupin responds, asking what else could have driven off the Dementors. Harry shares the events of the night before, and when he's finished, Lupin confirms that his father transformed into a stag, and that was how he got the nickname Prongs. He finishes packing the last few things and turns to Harry, giving him the invisibility cloak, and after a moment's hesitation, the Marauder's Map. He says that since he's no longer Harry's teacher, he doesn't feel guilty about giving it to him, and that he knows that he, Ron, and Hermione will find uses for it. Harry says that Lupin had told him Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs would have found it funny to lure him out of the castle, and Lupin says that they would have. His father would have been extremely disappointed if Harry had never learned any of the secret passages out of the castle. At the sound of a knock on the door, Harry hides the map and cloak in his pocket, and Dumbledore enters to tell Lupin that his carriage is at the gates. Lupin gathers his things, saying goodbye to Harry, telling him it was a pleasure teaching him and that he was sure they would meet again. He tells Dumbledore that he doesn't need to be seen out, and the two say goodbye and shake hands. Then Lupin nods to Harry and leaves. Harry sits down and hears the door shut, but when he looks up, Dumbledore is still there. He asks Harry why he's so miserable when he should be proud of himself, and Harry tells him that it doesn't make a difference because Pettigrew got away. 
Dumbledore tells him that it made all the difference. He uncovered the truth and spared an innocent man from a terrible fate. The headmaster's words remind Harry of Professor Trelawney's prediction, and he tells Dumbledore that she had said Voldemort's servant was going to return to him and help him come back to power, wondering if it was a real prediction. Dumbledore seems impressed and tells Harry that he thinks it was, which would bring her up to a total of two real predictions. Harry wonders how Dumbledore can be so calm and exclaims that it's his fault if Voldemort comes back because he stopped Sirius and Lupin from killing Pettigrew. Dumbledore explains that the consequences of our actions are far too complicated and diverse, and that Harry did the noble thing by sparing Pettigrew. Harry tries to object, but Dumbledore cuts him off and explains that Pettigrew owes his life to him, that he's now in Harry's debt, and that Voldemort probably would not want one of his servants owing anything to Harry Potter. Harry protests, saying he doesn't want to bond with the man who betrayed his parents, and Dumbledore tells him that one day it might be a good thing that he spared Pettigrew, and reassures Harry that James would have done the same thing. After a moment, Harry decides that he can tell Dumbledore that he had thought it was his dad who had conjured the stag Patronus, and Dumbledore tells him it's an easy mistake to make since he looks extraordinarily like his father, except his eyes. He has his mother's eyes. Harry said it was stupid to think, because he knows his father is dead, but Dumbledore said that his father lives on in him. He showed himself when Harry needed him, and Prongs rode again last night. Seeing the look on Harry's face, Dumbledore tells him that Sirius had told him all about how they became Animagi, and that he'd recalled Harry's Patronus charging at Malfoy at the Quidditch match, saying Harry had found his father inside himself. Dumbledore leaves the office, and Harry alone to his thoughts. At the end of term, there are many rumors going around about what happened the night that Buckbeak and Sirius disappeared, but none are close to the real events. Malfoy is furious that the Hippogriff got away and that Hagrid somehow outsmarted them. Percy Weasley tells Penelope that he has lots of ideas for magical law enforcement if he makes it to the Ministry. Although everything around him is cheerful and he knows that they had achieved something incredible by saving Sirius, Harry is in terrible spirits. He and his defense against the Dark Arts classmates are all sad to see Professor Lupin resign. Aside from Lupin leaving, Harry is also worried about Professor Trelawney's prediction, wondering if Pettigrew has made it back to Voldemort yet. The greatest thing weighing on Harry's mind, though, is having to return to the Dursleys after briefly believing that he would be living with Sirius. The last day of term comes, and with it, exam results. Harry, Ron, and Hermione have passed every subject. Harry is surprised that he passed potions, but secretly thinks that Dumbledore must have stepped in to prevent Snape from intentionally failing him. He had noticed that Snape's hatred for him seems to have grown. Gryffindor won the House Cup, and even Harry is able to join in on the celebrations, eating and drinking and laughing with his friends. The next day on the train, Hermione tells Harry and Ron that she has turned in the time-turner, and when Ron remarks that he can't believe she didn't tell them about it, she says she had promised not to tell anyone about it. Harry watches Hogwarts disappear from view, and Hermione tells him to cheer up. He explains that he's thinking about the holidays, and Ron says that he wants Harry to come stay with them and that it's the Quidditch World Cup, which cheers Harry up tremendously, but the thing that helps the most comes later in the afternoon. Hermione notices something small and gray outside the window, carrying a much too large letter, and Harry reaches out and pulls the tiny owl into the compartment. It drops the letter into Harry's lap, and Hedwig makes a disapproving sound as the small owl flits around the train car happily. Crookshanks begins eyeing the little bird, and Ron snatches it to safety. Harry opens the letter, says it's from Sirius, and reads it aloud. Sirius says that he and Buckbeak are safe, but won't say where they are, that he believes the Dementors are still looking for him, and he will let himself be seen far away from Hogwarts so the castle security will be lifted. He also explains that he was the one who sent Harry the firebolt, which earned an I told you so from Hermione, as the small owl nips Ron's hand affectionately. The letter goes on to say that he was sorry for scaring Harry when he left the Dursleys, but that he'd wanted to get a glimpse of him, and that there's something else in the envelope to make his next year at Hogwarts better. Sirius had enclosed a note giving Harry permission to go to Hogsmeade, with a postscript telling Ron to keep the owl since it was his fault he no longer had a rat. Harry rereads the letter over and over on the train. Back at the station, Uncle Vernon is waiting for him and sees the letter from Sirius, exclaiming that it better not be something for him to sign. Harry tells him that it's a letter from his godfather, 
his parents' best friend, who happens to be a convicted murderer, that escaped wizard prison and is on the run, but likes to check in and make sure Harry is happy. Pleased with the horrified look on Vernon's face, Harry exits the station with Hedwig and looks forward to a better summer than the last. The movie scene starts out with the clock chiming and Hermione telling Harry that they have to go, and they rush back into the castle. The camera focuses on the outside of the large clock and transitions through it as they run through the corridor and reach the hospital wing doors just as Dumbledore is closing them. Professor Dumbledore looks at them as he starts to walk away and says, Well? Harry responds that he's free. They did it. Dumbledore continues to walk away with a nonchalant, Did what? And then tells them goodnight with a wave as he walks down the stairs. Hermione looks at Harry and the two push open the double doors leading into the hospital wing, just in time to see themselves disappear into the past. Breathing heavily, they make their way into the room, and a very confused Ron points and wants to know how they got there, when they were just there. Hermione turns to Harry and asks what Ron is talking about, and Harry claims that he doesn't know, then looks at Ron and asks him how someone can be in two places at once. The two time travelers laugh, and the scene cuts to the Whomping Willow in the daylight, where once again a chirping bird flies towards it and explodes into a puff of feathers. Its branches dance lazily as if in a breeze, and then settles before the scene changes again to Harry walking through the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. Harry makes his way up the stone steps leading to Professor Lupin's office, and finds him looking a bit worse for the wear and packing all of his belongings. Though he has his back to the office door as Harry approaches, Lupin greets him by name before he can knock, and tells him that he saw him coming. Lupin gestures to the Marauder's map, which is laying open on his desk, and then points his wand at a case across the room, causing it to close itself up. Harry looks at his professor with concern, and Lupin assures him that he's looked worse, and turns to add a pile of books to his trunk. Harry thinks that he has been sacked, and Lupin explains that he actually resigned because somebody let slip the nature of his condition, and this time tomorrow the owls will start arriving. Parents will not want their children to be taught by someone like him. Harry tries to protest, mentioning Dumbledore, but Lupin cuts him off and tells him that Dumbledore has already risked enough for him, and he's used to it by now. With another wave of his wand, more of his belongings tuck themselves away, and he asks Harry why he looks so miserable. Harry explains that none of it made any difference because Pettigrew escaped. Lupin disagrees with him, insisting that it made all the difference in the world, because he uncovered the truth and saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. He tells Harry that if he is proud of anything this year, it is of how much he learned. Since he is no longer Harry's teacher, he also says that he feels no guilt in returning the Marauder's map to him. He bids Harry goodbye, sure that he will see him again, and adds on, Until then, mischief managed. With another wave of his wand, the map closes, the writing fades, and Lupin gives Harry one last look before walking out the door. Harry walks to the door and watches as Professor Lupin leaves. The scene shifts to the Great Hall, where a couple of ghosts on horses are riding around and students are hanging out. As Harry enters the Great Hall, a group of Gryffindors are standing in a huddle around one of the tables in the middle, and Ron's voice can be heard telling them to stand back or he will take it upstairs if they don't settle. Neville comes running up to Harry, followed by Seamus, and wants to know where he got it. Seamus wonders if he can have a go, after Harry, of course, and a very confused Harry approaches the group of Gryffindors, asking what they're talking about. Landing on a crutch, Ron tells them to be quiet and to let Harry through. He guiltily tells Harry that he didn't mean to open it, saying it was badly wrapped, then pointing at the twins and exclaiming that they made him do it. Fred and George deny that in unison, and Harry reaches the table, seeing something covered in brown paper. They all pull back the paper to reveal the fastest broom in the world, a firebolt. Harry can hardly believe it's for him, and asks who sent it. Ron says that no one knows, but Hermione holds up a large gray feather and gives a knowing smile, explaining that that came with it. The scene cuts to the swinging pendulum as Harry leads the group of Gryffindors running out to the courtyard. He mounts the broom and shoots off with a yell. They all watch him rocket through the sky before the camera changes view, showing Harry flying over mountains and water. He yells and laughs as he flies closer into the shot, and it freezes on a close-up of him cheering, before fading to black. Harry's voice then says, Lumos, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good, and the credits roll in the style of the Marauder's Map. So here we are at the final compare and contrast section of Prisoner of Azkaban. 
And in sticking with the general theme of the entire third story of this series, the movie runs mostly parallel to the last book chapter. The book, of course, has more detail, as the movie left a few chunks out of the ending. Of course. In addition to changing some details and leaving out some chunks, it also changed the actual end of the story. Kept it somewhat true to the spirit of the books, but it's completely different. Completely. But both start out right after Harry and Hermione watch Sirius fly off into the night on Buckbeak. In the book, Hermione tugs Harry's sleeve and tells him that they have ten minutes to get back to the hospital wing before Dumbledore locks the door. And obviously, she also has to remind him that they can't be seen. Well, of course. She knows the laws and isn't afraid to use them against Harry. In the movie, the clock chimes and Hermione just tells Harry they have to go. Then we get another awesome transition through the clock gears to show us Harry and Hermione running through the corridor. This streamlines the events in the book a bit, since it cuts out the fact that they have to flatten themselves against a wall to hide from Fudge and Snape, who are talking about the Dementors performing the kiss. Basically, they're catching the rest of the conversation they overheard before they time-traveled. Which wasn't in the movie then, or now. Which is weird to say, because technically it's the same time. Mm -hmm. Fudge is all about ending the situation as quickly as possible, since the whole thing has been highly embarrassing. I mean, who wants their incompetencies on display like that? Not I. <laughs> Not I. <laughs> Nor I. Nor I. <laughs> but again, we have a moment in the book that's slightly more dramatic than the movie, because not only do Harry and Hermione have to hide from Snape and Fudge, as soon as they are gone, they have to dive into a deserted classroom to avoid Peeves. 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 That sounds so familiar. Who's Peeves? The horrible poltergeist who, in this moment, is boisterously laughing his head off because he's excited the Dementors are going to finish off Sirius. Oh, Peeves. Yeah, that definitely wasn't in the movie. And I'm still not over it. I blocked it from my memory. Sorry to reopen the wound. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but then after Peeves is out of sight, they have a minute to make it back to the hospital wing and get there just as Dumbledore is telling their past selves that he's going to lock them in and it's five minutes till midnight. He pulls out his wand and present Harry and Hermione rush forward before he magically locks the door. This is where it lines back up with the movie. In both, Dumbledore looks at them and says, well, but after that, the book and movie vary a little. In the movie, Harry tells him that they did it, he's free, and Dumbledore looks like he just took a fresh bong rip Though I do love the delivery of his line, did what? Good night. <laughs> I love the delivery as well, even though that's not how it happened in the book. Yeah. Harry tells him that Sirius is gone on Buckbeak, and Dumbledore tells them well done. Then listens to hear that their past selves are gone and lets them into the hospital wing, locking the door behind them. As we mentioned before in the movie, he didn't actually lock them in. He just gives his good night and walks away down the stairs. Harry and Hermione let themselves back in just in time to see themselves disappear and to confuse the shit out of Ron. And I still hate the gaslighting Hermione and Harry do. I understand that they can't tell anyone. I get it. I, I really do. But Ron isn't just anyone. Yeah. It goes along with the comedy of the whole thing since Hermione spent the entire film gaslighting him. Mm -hmm. Of course she had to keep it up now. But that's not how it happened in the book since Ron was still out cold when they returned. He didn't even know they were there, let alone that they left to time travel. They filled him in on all of it later, though. The movie doesn't really give us the indication that they did, but we've talked before about how they don't really bother to recap things that we just watched happen, and explaining things to Ron would definitely fall under that category. I just don't like the gaslighting. I know she did it the whole film, but okay, we get it. You can quit beating the dead horsey bird. No, didn't you hear? Buckbeak escaped. No, I was... But it was a, like a play on words, because horsey bird, because beat a dead horse and a thing. And uh -huh. Anyway. At this point, the movie gives us one last Whomping Willow transition and another bird exploding in a puff of feathers before cutting to Harry heading into Professor Lupin's office in the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. Once again, this streamlines events because the movie never shows us the reaction to Sirius Black escaping again. And in the book, we get that absolutely epic temper tantrum from Snape, which I sort of alluded to before when we were talking about how the movie left out him losing his shit a bit with Harry and Hermione in the Shrieking Shack. Yeah, Snape never shows back up in the movie after he protects Harry, Ron, and Hermione from Werewolf Lupin. So there isn't even an opportunity to show how he reacted to Black's escape. 
Or, like you said, how anyone reacted, really. Yeah, and it's a fun little section in the book because it's an epic meltdown. Mm -hmm. Madame Pomfrey hears Dumbledore leave and goes to check on her patients. Harry and Hermione accept their chocolate quietly and just listen. Soon, they hear angry voices and can make out Fudge saying that he must have apparated. I can only imagine the look on Hermione's face as she hears the Minister of Magic make that claim. Yeah, apparently he hasn't read Hogwarts A History either. Who has? Lucky for her, Snape's got it covered and roars, He didn't disapparate! You can't apparate or disapparate inside this castle! He also insists that this has something to do with Potter. He bursts into the hospital wing and just starts yelling at Harry, asking what he did, screaming that he knows they helped him escape. I mean, he's not wrong, but no one ever said Snape was stupid. No, but it doesn't really matter that he's right because the other adults in the area think the concept is ridiculous. Except, obviously, Dumbledore, who knows that it isn't, but goes into full gaslighting mode himself and saying that the door has been locked since he left the ward ten minutes ago, then he really sells it by asking Madame Pomfrey if they left their beds. Yeah, I know I just complained a whole lot about gaslighting, but in this case, it's kind of bloody. <laughs> I kind of like it. Well, it makes sense for Dumbledore to do it, I think. Yeah. Like, he's got to control the situation. Well, that and considering he essentially orchestrated a lot of it, too. I'm pretty sure he orchestrated all of it. Yeah, you know, well, there, yeah. It's <laughs> they haven't left their beds, have they? When she insists that they haven't, Dumbledore flat out tells Snape that unless he's suggesting Harry and Hermione can be in two places at once, he doesn't see the point in troubling them any further. So the movie let Harry and Hermione Grand Theft Audio this gaslighting sentiment from Dumbledore. I think it's better coming from Dumbledore, personally. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Though it does make me wonder about the time-turner. Obviously, some officials at the Ministry would know that Hermione had it. And McGonagall and Dumbledore clearly did, too. I had originally assumed that all the teachers knew that she had it since her schedule was so ridiculous. But they must have kept it a secret from them, or Snape would have probably put two and two together to equal Harry and Hermione time-traveled. Or maybe he did know, and despite being upset, ultimately knew better than to mention it, since it would flat out betray Dumbledore. This should be our Potter pondering. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that you'd think the minister could have figured out the maths on this one, but he thought Sirius disapparated out of Hogwarts, so maybe not. <laughs> I would love to know what our keepers think about who knew or didn't know about the time turner. Works for me. But then in the book, Snape flounces around and billows away, leaving Fudge thinking he's quite unbalanced. Dumbledore said that he isn't unbalanced, just suffered a severe disappointment. I gotta say, if this how you react when you suffer a severe disappointment, you ain't balanced. Right? Mm -mm, Snape like is quite unbalanced. For a lot of different reasons. Facts. He desperately needs some therapy. At the very least, probably some medications. There's got to be a potion for that. Yeah, there must be. I think he predominantly functions okay, but the things that trigger him really trigger him. Like, it's not a little trigger. It's like, pull the trigger, boom! Yeah, it's like PTSD almost. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And none of that was really shown in the movies. Mm. Nope, not at all. Because why do that? Why give a Snape's backstory? Why give character depth? That's silly. But then Ron wakes up and wonders what happened, since he missed everything. But the book implies that they fill him in on all of it here. The movie kind of gives the impression that they didn't, but we'll talk about that when we get to that point. Yeah. So the last part of this section that the movie streamlined out was when the trio got to leave the hospital wing and found a mostly empty castle since the weather was nice and most of the third years and up went to Hogsmeade. The trio instead decided to wander the grounds and end up meeting up with Hagrid, who's still celebrating Beaky's escape. He thinks that he must not have tied him up properly and mentions being worried that he might have met Professor Lupin on the grounds, but Lupin said that he never ate anything last night. Then in response to Harry's, wait, what? He explains that Snape told all the Slytherins that Lupin was a werewolf and now he's packing. This lines it back up with the movie since it causes him to rush straight to Lupin's office. I don't mind not knowing the exact reason Harry decided to head to see his professor, though. 
Like, I think it makes perfect sense for a variety of reasons that he'd want to go talk to Lupin after all that went down. Oh, yeah. I would say so, too. Yeah. In both the book and the movie, Lupin tells Harry that he saw him coming and points to the Marauder's map. Though, they still aren't going to explain how he knows how to use the map in the movie. Because why do that? Yeah, this could have been a better-than-not-at-all place for it, too. Right? Seriously. Also in the movie, he tells Harry that he's looked worse and continues packing, and I am in desperate need of the packing spell Lupin uses. Oh, it would be super handy. Right? I'm terrible at packing to begin with. That would just make it so much easier. (laughs) But because he's packing, Harry thinks that he's been sacked, and Lupin explains that he's resigned because someone, (coughs) Snape, (coughs) let it slip that he was a werewolf. Obviously, we know it was Snape because the book specifically told us. But also, who else could it have been? Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure why they didn't bother having Lupin mention that it was Snape. All I can figure is that maybe they decided they wouldn't have want him to give Harry more of a reason to dislike him. I think you can infer pretty well that it was Snape, though. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to infer that. But for some reason, they didn't decide to just flat out say it when in the book they did. Maybe they were trying to make it like a wink-wink thing. Like, somebody felt somebody. the need to tell people. Mm-hmm. Like, bitch, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> hmm Yeah, exactly. In the book, Harry tells Lupin that Hagrid told him he resigned and asked if it was true, worried that the Ministry of Magic thinks he was helping Sirius. Lupin tells him that Professor Dumbledore managed to convince Fudge that he was trying to save their lives, and that was the last straw for Severus, who accidentally let it slip that he was a werewolf. Mm -hmm. Then in both, he said that the owls will start arriving from parents next day. There's a slight difference from the book to the movie here, because in the book, Lupin just flat out says that they will not want a werewolf teaching their children. And in the movie, he says someone like him, rather than actually saying werewolf. And I think the wording is pretty interesting because it draws attention to the fact that lycanthropy is an allegory to other stigmatized conditions like AIDS and HIV. Which I can definitely see the parallels. It's certainly an opportunity to explore the prejudices and hysteria that go along with the stigma of bloodborne conditions. But I think it can be a bit problematic because Lupin is kind of considered a good werewolf, which then implies that the other werewolves are bad. Especially since the only other werewolf we actually meet is Fenrir Greyback, and he's just plain awful. Mm -hmm. If anything, the concept existed but was underdeveloped. I mean, JK basically said in an interview that it could be interpreted that way. And, I mean, I like that. I think it makes the most sense. Because with conditions like that, though, you do have good people and you have bad people just in general. You hear the terrible stories about the assholes that have bloodborne illnesses and use it against other people. But then more often, there's just the people trying to live their lives. And the bad ones are the ones that give them a bad name. Right. And I think that was kind of the point that I was making, too, that this being underdeveloped because they made Lupin seem like he was the exception as opposed to the norm. Yeah, I can see that. I think maybe it was just something they didn't want to ram down our throats. But just by him not saying parents won't want a werewolf and for him to say parents won't want someone like him yeah that's a weighted sentence yeah no i agree there but after the initial conversation about lupin leaving hogwarts the conversation actually differs quite a bit in the movie as he continues to pack harry protests him leaving and asks about dumbledore lupin says that dumbledore has already risked enough for him and that he's used to it by now which is really sad by the way yeah just single tear He then asks Harry why he is so miserable, and Harry explains that none of it made any difference since Pettigrew escaped. Lupin disagrees with him, insisting that it made all the difference in the world because he uncovered the truth and saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. This part of the conversation sort of happens in the book, too, but it's a different setup since Harry isn't having it with Lupin, but rather with Dumbledore, after Lupin leaves. Yeah, the movie leaves Dumbledore out of the equation and just gives the lines to Lupin, which... I can't say I'm actually mad about. Like, it actually worked coming from him, since Lupin is the most Dumbledore-esque character aside from his bearded hippiness himself. (laughs) Yeah, it is completely acceptable coming from Lupin. It just takes away from how basically every book ended with a speech from the omniscient Dumbledore, and the movie really took that away from his character. It really did. I will admit that. But if they had to give it to anyone, I'm kind of glad it was Lupin. 
it gave him a very nice scene of closure as Harry's teacher. I don't disagree with that, though it is different from the book, where Lupin tells Harry that from what he heard from Dumbledore, Harry saved a lot of lives last night. He also tells him that if he's proud of anything he's done this year, it's how much he's learned. Lupin asks about Harry's Patronus that drove all the Dementors away, and he then confirmed that James could turn into a stag and that's why they called him Prongs. Lupin also returned Harry's invisibility cloak, which he had fetched from the Shrieking Shack, and told him that since he wasn't his teacher anymore, he felt no guilt giving him back the Marauder's Map. See, movie? This could have been the perfect spot to include a little more information about the history of the Marauders. Obviously, Lupin couldn't return Harry's invisibility cloak since it wasn't used in the movie, though. There is that. Mm-hmm. But movie Lupin does make the comment about being proud of how much Harry learned and says he feels no guilt in returning the Marauder's map to him. He then tells Harry goodbye, saying he is sure they will see each other again. Until then, mischief managed. The map folds itself back up, the writing on it fades, and Lupin gives Harry a final look before he leaves. In the book, Harry picks up the map and grins, saying that he told him that Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs would have wanted to lure him out of school that they would have thought it was funny, and Lupin says that James would have been highly disappointed if his son never found any of the secret passages out of the castle. Again! See, movie? It was so easy! So many opportunities! Right? But that's just not there. Right there for you! But at this point in the book, Dumbledore shows up and lets Lupin know that his carriage is at the gates. Then Lupin says goodbye and tells Dumbledore there's no need to see him to the gates. He shakes his hand, gives a final nod to Harry, and heads out, leaving Harry with Dumbledore. And this is where Dumbledore asks Harry why he's so miserable. And like you said, the movie literally gave Lupin Dumbledore's line, because it was basically word for word about uncovering a truth and saving an innocent man from a terrible fate. But, like I said, it worked coming from Lupin, too. It did, but it also cut out the part where Dumbledore... Saying the word terrible reminded Harry of Trelawney's prediction, which he then mentions to Dumbledore, saying she went very strange, which prompted Dumbledore to say, er, stranger than usual, you mean? I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) He's not. But Harry told him about what she said and wondered if she was making a real prediction. Dumbledore reckons she was, and this is also where we get a bit of foreshadowing when he tells Harry that it brings her total number of predictions up to two. I can see why this wasn't included in the movie, since it wasn't that important to this film's plot, but it would have at least been nice to have that little bit of conclusion over Trelawney's prediction. Yeah, and it really does set some things up in the future books. Mm -hmm. Because Harry thinks it'll be his fault if Voldemort returns. Dumbledore points out that the consequences of their actions are always so complicated and diverse that predicting the future is very difficult. He also tells Harry that saving Pettigrew was a very noble thing and means that Pettigrew owes Harry his life, giving Voldemort a deputy who's in his debt. Harry doesn't like having that connection with Pettigrew, but Dumbledore flat out tells him that a time may come that he will be very glad he saved Pettigrew's life. He also assures Harry that his father would have done the same thing. This is that big omniscient speech that you were talking about Dumbledore getting. The movie really did take every bit of that away from him in this one. In a lot of them, honestly. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that I specify that I prefer book Dumbledore over movie Dumbledore. They just didn't do him justice in the films. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to love movie Dumbledore with everything they took out of the character. I mean, I know a lot of people don't even like Dumbledore... From the books, like, yeah, a lot of people don't like the fact that he left him at the Dursleys, and this is a whole other episode, but yeah, that's, that's an entire still so many things about him from the books that are incredible. Yeah. And to leave those out of the movies just kind of pared him down to the unlikable bits at times. Yeah. Not completely. He still had his hippie moments that were delightful. Yeah. And he had, you know. His crazy old granddad moments, and we all love those. And his, oh, I have to sign my name too, and they planted those strawberries. There were some great things. You know, there was some good stuff, but. Kippy Dumbledore was the best of the Dumbledores. Mm hmm. I have to agree. But at the same time, it still wasn't book Dumbledore. So. It wasn't. I totally get what you're saying. But then also, when Dumbledore mentions Harry's father, Harry confessed that he thought he was seeing his dad when he saw his future self. 
and Dumbledore says that it's an easy mistake to make since he does look extraordinarily like James. Except for the eyes. He has his mother's eyes. He should really give those back. (laughs) Which is basically what they had Sirius previously say. Yeah, it kind of undermines the relationship that Harry actually had with Dumbledore overall, too, I think. Yeah. I almost think it more undermines the relationship that Dumbledore had with Lily and James. There's that, too. Yeah. You know. I mean, like, I'm glad that they... I thought that this movie did a really good job building up a connection with him and Lupin and him and Mm -hmm. Sirius, which is important. But I don't think the movies in general built up a good relationship between Harry and Dumbledore. No. They were really close in the books. And the movies didn't pull that forward. Yeah. It's sad that it was left out. I know they have to leave things out, but that one bugs me. Yeah, but that's one. You would think that would be a more important one to keep in. Because that's... Harry trusted Dumbledore so much because of that connection. Right. You know? You'd think. But they didn't. But they didn't. Sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. (laughs) The very last Dumbledore-ism that he leaves Harry with was in response to Harry saying that it was stupid thinking it was his dad, since he knew he was dead. Dumbledore said, You think the dead we loved ever truly leave us? You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble? Your father is alive in you, Harry, and shows himself most plainly when you have need of him. How else could you produce that particular Patronus? Prongs wrote again last night. Which, again, as we were saying, Sirius essentially says that to him mm-hmm. in the movie. And it's, again, it's not building up that relationship between Harry and Dumbledore. Like, it was a good buildup of the relationship of him and Sirius, but not him and Dumbledore. And it's good that they still got that bit in there some way. Yeah. But it makes me sad. Because I love Dumbledore. I know. But he also tells Harry that Sirius told him the whole story about them becoming Animagi and called it an extraordinary achievement, not least keeping it quiet from him. I mean, considering everything else we learned in our bonus Potterheads of History episode with Carly, it is pretty extraordinary, especially keeping it from the omniscient Dumbledore. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Dumbledore then reflects on the form Harry's Patronus took when it charged Malfoy down at the Quidditch match against Ravenclaw and said, in a way, Harry did see his father last night. He found him inside himself. And now Dumbledore's omniscient speech has officially ended. (laughs) And since none of that happened in the movie, we can just move on to the next part, where the movie just completely throws the ending of the book out the window and says, I'm gonna do it my way. (laughs) After Harry watches Lupin leave, it cuts to the Great Hall with more of the ghosts on horseback and all of the kids gathered around the tables. Yeah, and this cuts out the basic end of year sum up that the books like to give, Mm -hmm. letting us know about how the rest of the school has a bunch of theories about how Black escaped, but none of them come close to the truth. I mean, how do you go about predicting that one, though? There is that. We also learned that Malfoy is furious about Buckbeak, and Percy has a lot of suggestions that he wants to make to the Ministry Magical Law Enforcement Department. Even though the weather was nice and the atmosphere was cheerful, Harry is feeling pretty low and isn't the only one upset about Professor Lupin leaving. Seamus wonders what they'll get for a teacher next year, and Dean Thomas hopefully suggests a vampire. Which was our trivia question. Though I can't imagine that would happen, because a vampire is a vampire all the time, and a werewolf is more often perfectly harmless. Unless it's Greyback. Well, yeah, there's there's that. Harry also has Professor Trelawney's prediction weighing on his mind, and is most suffering because he has to return to the Dursleys when he had a glorious half hour where he believed he'd get to live with his parents' best friend. And now that's impossible. Like I said before, he's gotta feel like he just let a Dementor get to second base on that one. Yeah, it really does suck. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in both the punny way and the sympathetic way. Yeah. That just sucks. Mm -hmm. The book also talks about getting their exam results back, and the trio had passed everything, even potions. But Harry suspected that Dumbledore stepped in to stop Snape from failing him on purpose, as his dislike for Harry seems to have increased. I wonder why. (laughs) Shocker. Maybe the fact that he's showing off how extraordinarily like his father he is. Extraordinarily. What with strutting about the castle and whatnot. Or even just because he has his mother's eyes and it hurts him to see those. Well, see, now you made it sad. 
dude ain't unstable for no reason. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm just, you know, now it's sad. I'm gonna go cry. Yeah. We also learned that Percy got top grade NEWTs. Shock. And Fred and George scraped by on their OWLs. Yay. And Gryffindor won the house championship for the third year in a row. They had a great feast among the scarlet and gold decorations, and Harry even managed to forget about his journey back to the Dursleys the next day. Yeah, that's not how it happened in the movie. No sum up, no end of the year feast. When Harry heads to the Great Hall, it's apparently just a normal day. As Harry enters, we see a group of Gryffindors are gathered around one of the tables and hear Ron's voice telling them to stand back. Neville runs up to Harry, asking him where he got it, and he is closely followed by Seamus, who wants to know, Can I have a go, Harry? After you, of course. Because, you know, Seamus likes sloppy seconds. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, so gross. Harry asks what they were talking about and reaches the table, where Ron is leaning on a crutch and making up excuses about why he committed a federal offense and tampered with Harry's mail. I love that he blames Fred and George, and that we get that one last twin tandem talk before the end of the film. Yeah, right? But Harry pulls back the brown paper wrapping to reveal a firebolt. A real-ass firebolt. He doesn't believe that it's for him and asks who sent it. Ron says that no one knows, but Hermione holds up a large gray feather and says... This came with it. Ron's no one knows sounds like he really has no idea who sent it. Yeah, that's what I meant by the movie kind of gave the impression that they still hadn't filled him in by that point at least. But then we get one last shot of the giant swinging pendulum as Harry runs past it, leading the Gryffindors out to the courtyard. And how does Oliver Wood not get included in the firebolt scene? He's not even in the background for fuck's sake. I mean, Oliver Wood wasn't even in the film when there was an actual Quidditch match. It seems unlikely that they were going to bring him back just for this one little scene. He should have been, though, because it's Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. That's what I said, Oliver Wood. <sighs> but anyways, Harry mounts the broom and we can see he tied the feather to it. I bet you if they slipped that feather in Draco's bag or in his room or something, he'd flip the fuck out. <laughs> How fun would it be if they asked Sirius to just keep Owl delivering Buckbeak's feathers to Malfoy <laughs> and just leaving them in random places for him to find? <laughs> you know Sirius would be all about a prank like that. That would be awesome. I don't know how much Buckbeak would like having his feathers torn out all the time, but... Well, I mean, he's a horsey bird. He's got to molt. <laughs> Molting season would be amazing. They just cover his, right? cover his bed. <laughs> it, you were just going to like reimagine the scene with Harry receiving his letters through the fireplace except it's just buckbeak feathers. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm sorry. I would love that. <laughs> but yeah, Harry mounts the broom, takes off flying, and I'd just like to give a shout out to the worst ending shot in movie history. I know the books are set in the 90s, but is the cheesy ass freeze frame really necessary? Oh my god. It's so bad. It was so bad. So bad. And not at all how it happened in the book, <laughs> which gave us the usual Hogwarts Express ending. Hermione shares that she decided to drop Muggle studies and return the time turners since she'll be able to have a normal schedule. And Ron still can't believe she never told them about it. As far as we know, she still didn't tell Ron in the movie. Right. <laughs> as they ride away from Hogwarts, Harry starts to look glum and Hermione tells him to cheer up. He says he's okay just thinking about the holidays. And Ron says he wants him to come stay with them, and it's the Quidditch World Cup this summer. Hmm. Quidditch World Cup. I wonder if that's going to become significant. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. But the prospect cheers Harry up a bit until something happens in the afternoon to make him truly happy. A tiny little gray owl shows up with a letter from Sirius, and Harry learns that he and Buckbeak are in hiding, and he was the one who sent Harry the firebolt. He used Harry's name, but asked them to take the gold from his own vault and told Harry to consider it as 13 birthdays worth of presents from his godfather. I liked this way so much better than the random feather as a clue who it was from. Yeah, I also missed all of the mystery surrounding who sent the firebolt. Mm -hmm. Having it at the end like that with the feather, it was just, he got a firebolt. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all completely forget about the escaped convict too, by the way. But it's a firebolt. <laughs> it's a firebolt. Who cares? But Sirius's letter also included a note giving Harry permission to visit Hogsmeade on the weekends and a P.S. that offered Ron the little gray owl since he no longer has a pet rat. Hopefully he takes better care of the owl than he did Scabbers. 
I love that he holds out the owl for Crookshanks to sniff before deciding to keep him. It shows how far Ron and Crookshanks have really come by that point. Right? <laughs> well, I think he realized that Crookshanks was actually trying to do him a favor the whole time. Which is, yeah. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. So much growth for Ron. He was right last time. Like, at least he's admitting, essentially. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> but Harry spent the rest of the train ride reading and rereading the letter until they get back to King's Cross Station. And he's still holding on to it when Uncle Vernon spots him. And the bag of assholes wonders if it's another form for him to sign. And Harry explains that it's a letter from his godfather, who is a convicted murderer, who has broken out of wizard prison and is on the run. Harry adds on a, he likes to keep in touch with me, though. Keep up with my news. Check if I'm happy. And bag of assholes just looks completely horrified. And Harry is sure that this summer will be better than the last. Well played, Harry. Well played indeed. This was a much better ending than that cheesy-ass freeze frame. So much better. And here we are at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban. I can barely believe we're getting ready to start the fourth book and movie. Right? But before we end this section, I do want to talk about the movie credits. Partially because I love how they did them, but specifically because I just wanted to know if you ever noticed the couple making out slash banging on the map during the credits. Yes, I did. <laughs> It's a pretty funny little Easter egg. So if you haven't noticed that, go to the credits, check it out. I feel like most people have seen that one by now. It's, Everyone it's been knows circling. It, yeah. It's funny, though. <laughs> and I also love that they used the Marauder's Map style for the credits. It was pretty neat. Yeah, I agree. But now we have officially completed comparing the book Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban to the movie. And this will bring us to our Potter pondering. We want to know your thoughts on who knew that Hermione had the time-turner and why the Ministry didn't put it together for Sirius's and Buckbeak's escape. Find the post on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Brittany Mack. She writes, My house is Slytherin, my wand is Larch, and my Patronus is a wild boar. Friends of mine in college made me go see Sorcerer's Stone, and I had never been into Harry Potter at that point but I loved the movie. However, I did not get into the movies and truly fall in love with the series until the Order of the Phoenix book had come out, and some of my family members kept talking about how someone dies. I wanted to know what they were talking about, but I had not read the other four books. So I read the first four books in a day each because I loved them so much. It took me two weeks to read the Order of the Phoenix book the first time, and then I got books six and seven at midnight. I got into the books because of my family, and nowadays I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan in my family. Kind of sounds sort of familiar to me. What? My mom and my brother got me into it, and now I've, like, out-nerded them so much. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Brittany. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also just message it to us on social media. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, in the U.S. version of Prisoner of Azkaban, the trio are worried that Hagrid is going to be fired. What's the term that they use in the U.K. version? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag English or English will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. In addition to getting you some extra perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, patron-only Facebook groups, virtual meetups, bonus contents, and more, your patronage also helps us continue producing this podcast, our cooking show, and bring more content your way. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, 
monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos. Our latest cooking show episode will be going up within the next couple of days. I'm just finishing it up now, so. Yay! And we can't forget to wish our own personal support badger, Carly, a very happy birthday. Happy birthday! We love you, girl. You better make it a good one. <laughs> also, we want to make sure to wish all of our keepers a very happy new year. Hopefully, 2021 is better than 2020. Yeah. And join us next week when we talk about the differences between the American and British versions of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, as well as our favorite parts from our episodes that cover the story. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.